Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to another of show. I'm uh, once again driving to the Erie Library. So I was going to be working here today because, uh, as we talked about last week, they're basically down a bunch of staff, right? But um, I'm, I'm working a, a longer day there today because... They're now down basically their entire staff because of COVID. They had a COVID exposure, and uh, so, like, none of their staff can be there. And uh, what, I'm, what I'm looking forward to is arriving and seeing how many of the other staff members that I'm working with are going to elect to wear a mask today, which is still voluntary at my work, um, as I gather it is at most places. However, you know, I'm sitting here going, like, whatever. I, I'm not going to force anyone else to wear one, of course, and I, I can't. But at this point, I'm like, so the consequence of not wearing masks is that then people have close exposure, which then means you have to go by the rules that we set forth, which is that, uh, you know, if... If you have an exposure, you're out for five days, right? And so it's like, well, so we're going to follow that rule of, like, you got to be out for five days if you have an exposure, which is fine. I get that. But then uh, is are, are we going to say, like, you know, the consequence of not wearing these masks is that uh, if you work with someone, that's going to count as a close exposure, and everyone who works with that person is out for five days. And, like, our libraries aren't so heavily staffed that, you know, usually we can take that kind of hit. And so now we've, for the first time, had to close a library for an entire day because there just wasn't enough people. And, you know, so I'm like, okay, well, that's, there, there you go. That's the consequence that we were trying to avoid, right, was closing the library. And if the consequence we were trying to avoid has happened, uh, then I'm coming in the next day, and it's like, well, this seems like our opportunity to either learn a lesson and do something different, or just <laughs> I'll just come in without a mask on and, uh, you know, run the cycle again. I'm very suspicious that what will happen is we will run the cycle again. Just because um, last Friday when I worked down there, I was the only one on staff wearing a mask. And then uh, in my office, I've been the only person wearing one. Even though right now, Colorado rates have gone up like 40%. And uh, basically everyone I know is getting it. Or has gotten it. And it's, you know, and what a coincidence. It's like, oh, I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop wearing my mask. I'm going to start going out and doing stuff. Oh, shit, I got COVID. It's like people have this idea that it's like, okay, well, I, I behaved myself for two years. So now I get, I get, I should get like a year of, you know, taking it easy. And then it's like, ah, fuck, I got COVID. How could this happen to me? I was so careful. And it's like, yeah, you were so careful. You know, it doesn't it doesn't work that way. It's not like, well, I was careful at, at this point, so I, I banked I banked some uh safety for myself. That's not how this works. So anyway. I just I'm just trying to uh enjoy the craziness of it. You know, I really thought that I was like, this is what it'll take. And at this point, when this happens, when we have to close for a day, uh, they'll be like, you know what? We got to bring, bring them back because we really don't have another choice. We can't, we can't just be closed for a day. And I, I think that's how a lot of businesses started doing it too. Like after, even after the state mandates were gone or whatever, there were a lot of businesses that kept it. And I think a lot of those businesses were like, look, we're not going to be fucking closed for an entire day, so why not? Why not keep this rolling? Because then it's like, well, I work someone, but we're both masked. I don't think that counts as a close exposure. 
so we'd probably be fine. You wouldn't have to uh, keep everyone home for five days. Five days is also bullshit, by the way. Everything I've read is like, well, five days is like the general recommendation, but realistically what you should be doing is at the end of five days getting a test, and if it's negative, then you go back. If it's positive, then you're out for another day. You take another test tomorrow. Sometimes the relationship people have with the acceleration lane is fascinating. And like, you know, the acceleration lane is not just called that because it's like a cool, fast and furious name or something. It's like, that's what you're meant to do there. <laughs> just a thought. Anyway, that I think that's most of my COVID bitterness for today. Still bitter about COVID. I still fucking hate it. But uh, what are you going to do? Um, I just put up a, a column on Lit Reactor about selling books on Truth Social, or Trump Social as it's known. I, I got I got into to Truth Social, um, and it was worse than I thought it would be. And like I did not have high hopes for it, but it's really bad. I mean, the interface of it is pretty janky and whatever, and that's that's a thing. So. When you when you go to Truth Social, you like apply to be a, a a truther. I don't know what they call themselves, but a truth person. And you have to like put in, you know, like okay, if you go to Twitter, like right now, and you start, you put in all the necessary info. You're basically then you're on Twitter, like right then, right? Uh, truth Social puts you in a queue, and I'm not sure what they're doing between the time when you're entered into the queue and then you're, like, on Truth Social. Like, I don't know what the process is that's happening between those two events. It doesn't seem like anything, but I could be wrong. Um, my personal theory, you know, so you get in and then you see this ironic screen that's like, <laughs> it's like, uh, hey, congratulations, you're more than just a number to us, but here's your number. I mean, that's like literally what it says. Which I'm like, I can't tell if this is a, a, a joke that they think is funny, or if like someone, it, I think it's possible that someone who programmed this is like, this is fucking stupid, and just took a, took a for hire job, you know, and was like a hired gun. Much like, uh, I talked to Poonmaster Flex in during the Trump reign or whatever, and was like, if they paid me like $100,000 to be his joke writer, I would do it. And she's like, I would not do that. And I was like, I know, but I would. Because I'd be like, you know, I'm going to write jokes that are hurtful to people and stuff, and I don't know. I don't know where your career goes after you do that. But like, okay, I'm going to be honest with you, and if I was like, this guy was like uh, Donald Trump's joke writer. And, you know, and I would probably just put in my cover letter, like, look, this was like, I was a hired gun. I don't I, I'm not in the position to turn down a job because I don't believe in it. Um, so I did it. And, like, I got to be honest, like, if I was looking at a resume and someone was like, I was Trump's joke writer, and then they're like, you know, I wasn't like the biggest Donald Trump fan. It was a gig, and I'd be like, you know, probably the best thing about Donald Trump was his jokes. That was probably his most effective uh, communication strategy. <laughs> so maybe, maybe we should hear this guy out, huh? Maybe we should give this guy a shot, because, uh, I don't know. If everything else, if I had to come up with one thing that Trump did that I was like, that was successful, I would say it was probably his jokes. Not even saying that they're necessarily all hilarious, or certainly not saying they're inoffensive, but they went the farthest. They, like, carried his message much further than anybody else's, you know. I, I think they were pretty key to his success. Plus, if I was hiring for a job, and some dude came in and was like, I was Donald Trump's joke writer. I wasn't a big fan, but, you know, 
I did it, I would be like, well, you know, I'm selling a, a cola or something. Like, I, I think this guy is probably not going to have any moral quandaries here. Like, I don't think he's going to be too difficult to convince that it's like, you know, selling cola is an, a fine thing to do with your life. And, like, if he can put his maximum effort into something he doesn't believe in as much as a president, you know, it's like, eh, normally he's a Coke guy, but I'm trying to get him to write jokes for Pepsi. I don't think he's going to have much of a much of a struggle here. So that... Anyway, I don't know if it's a joke that you're, you're more than a number, here's your number. I don't know if it's an intentional joke. I don't know what the intent was. This is the thing about Truth Social, like, overall, is as you're using it, it's, like, hard to decide what's a joke, what's not, what they're aware is shitty, and what they're not aware is shitty. Because, like, sometimes I picture the way this all came together, because I've I've basically decided that Truth Social is like Trump's Twitter spite project. It's basically like he got kicked off Twitter, so he's like, I'll make my own fucking Twitter, which he did. To be fair, he did. Um, it's not great, but I mean, he succeeded. He did what he said he was going to do, and you know, he made a Truth Social. At the same time, I don't know. So anyway, you wait uh, to get on it. And I, I don't know how long I waited. It seemed like it was a few days to a week, something. But to be honest, I like put in for it because I had this idea to like try and sell books on there. Because I was like, you know, it feels like all the authors I know like that I interact with on Twitter are like crazy lefty people. They're like people who... Uh, are, like, talking about abandoning Twitter because Elon Musk, you know, bought it. And I'm like, okay, so if Elon Musk just owning Twitter is, like, too right-wing conservative for you, then, like, there's no fucking way they're on true social, right? Like, that's not happening. But more, it, and it came from that, too, because I was like, you know, I'm just going to investigate some of the, what I called the dregs of social media and be like, what if I try to sell books on, like, Truth Social and LinkedIn and some of these other platforms that I didn't even know about before. Because <laughs> I'm like, you know, on the plus with True Social is like, there's not much going on there. So it's like, I guess it's possible that if you created an even mildly dedicated following on True Social, you might move a few units. And it's not like I'm moving units on regular social media anyway. So what... What difference does it make if I spent 10 minutes on Truth Social as opposed to Twitter for like a couple weeks? Probably doesn't matter. So finally my thing came through and I had to make a profile and I, I actually made a profile of, I wrote a different Lit Reactor column about the book Ice Planet Barbarians, um, which I, could, I should probably talk about on here as well. But... Um, uh, I took the cover of Ice Planet Barbarians, which pictures like a giant blue guy, like picture the Navi from uh, Avatar, and then like uh, some lady in a fur coat, human lady. And I put my face, I grafted it onto her face, so it was like I was that lady. And that was the picture I used for my profile picture, was that face, which is like a really, it's just weird looking. I don't know how anyone could make heads or tails of it. Certainly no one is going to recognize it as like, I think he took Ice Planet Barbarians and put his fucking face on it. But whatever. It, it was just a picture I had handy, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. Um, and then I tried like tweeting things that I thought, well, first I was like going to tweet conservative things and just be like, I'm just going to go like full Stephen Colbert, be conservative, whatever. Um, and, you know, hope to gain a following that way. But that didn't really seem to be working. And then, so then I just started uh, tweeting, tweeting truthing, because that's what it's called there. It's truth social. Uh, when you push the button instead of tweet, it's truth. You retruth, you know, you, your, 
your tweets on Truth Social are called truths. So you're like, here's my collection of truths, you know, all, all that shit, which is fine. You know, it's it's stupid, but it's n- <sighs> I want to criticize it, but at the same time, I'm like, I mean, is it any stupider than tweet? Tweet is also stupid. Like looking at it objectively from a outside perspective, I'm like, we're just used to the language of Twitter. So saying a tweet is doesn't sound as dumb anymore, but like 10 years ago, that sounded really dumb. And it, it it's still dumb. It's not not dumb because, you know, it's been 10 years. It's still dumb. I maintain that it's still dumb. <laughs> but anyway. Um, I just started doing, like, jokes and stuff. I just basically was like, anything that I would put on Twitter, I'll just put on Truth Social instead. Because why not? Because, like, the thing that I, I really disliked about Truth Social, the top ten things I disliked about Truth Social, and number one is going to shock you. Um, okay, I thought Truth Social, I thought the concept here was like, we're going to have Twitter, but instead of having sort of a lefty tilt, uh, it's going to have a righty tw- tilt. But, you know, I was like, I didn't necessarily think it was like this was going to be the difference between MSNBC and Fox News or whatever. I thought this was, like, going to be the difference between um, Target and Walmart, right? Like, Walmart's probably a little more conservative and a little more trafficked by conservatives. And it's probably a a better place if you want to find, like, a t-shirt of an eagle riding a motorcycle or something. But... It's not like you go in there and that's the only thing in there. You know what I mean? They mostly have the same shit. Um, And then, you know, Target's a little bit more like, here's our gay pride month clothes and whatever. I had this, like, mini crisis yesterday on Skittles, even though I wasn't going to buy Skittles to begin with. But I was like, I saw they had, like, pride month Skittles at King Supers, and I was like... Well, I guess Skittles are always rainbows. <laughs> I guess that's something. But then I was kind of like, I don't know. I'm I'm sort of opposed to the idea of buying Pride Month Skittles because I feel like that's just selling me Skittles based on, you know, like gay pride. And so I'm I'm like, actually, in a way, I may elect to not buy Skittles not because I don't believe in gay pride, but because I don't believe in uh, commoditizing gay pride in that way. You know what I mean? It's like, I don't know, man. Even when someone does something like that and they're like, the money, you know, oh, 10% of the proceeds go to this thing. And I'm like, well, I could just send 100% of the proceeds to, you know, that thing if I wanted to, right? Like, I could do that. That's not outside of my abilities. Anyway, um, I so I I thought Truth Social would be Twitter. I thought it would be shittier, of course, but you know I just thought it would be sort of flavored more conservative, and would be like instead of seeing things all the time about like, oh you know this uh, black lady who's like starring in a Star Wars thing, like let's not. Uh, shit on her or something. I, I'm i going to be honest and say I didn't really read the, the tweet storm about this because I was just like, this seems like another thing where we're talking about like a movie and the race or gender of someone in a movie as being like the most important thing in the world. Anyway. Um, and also I'm like, who is going out here and being like, screw that black lady? I know somebody is, but like, this is not a message I really need, and it's not really a message that's useful for, like, me and the circles I travel in. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't have any friends. I, I kind of wish I had one friend who was, like, a weirdo conservative, because then at least I would sort of, I would see it. I would be like, somebody is doing this. Like, someone I know is doing this. This is wild shit. And I wouldn't want to argue with that. It it can't be someone that I'm, like, best friends with. 
it's got to be somebody that I just know somewhat well, but very peripherally. And their life really has no intersection with mine other than, like, online. Maybe I need to go back to Facebook more. <laughs> Maybe that's the answer. So, um, what it ended up being is that Truth Social is, like, all politics all the time. That's, like, all they have to talk about over there. I mean, they don't talk about anything but politics or on Truth Social. Every fucking truth that I see on there is like, Biden did this, Trump's doing this, Trump won the election, Biden is an idiot, you know, and like, oh, inflation, thanks, Biden, or whatever. And uh, I, I just, you know, I tried to make this analogy in the column, and I don't know if I quite got where I wanted to with it, because I was like, for the sake of space and whatever, I don't know. But the analogy I was trying to make is like, let's say in the future, McDonald's goes vegan, like 100%. They're like, everything we do and serve is now vegan. So then Burger King is like, okay, we are going to go anti what McDonald's is doing right now. And that's going to be kind of our new, our new thing. You know, that's how we're going to do business now, and that's how we're going to sort of attract customers. And I'd be like, all right, like, you know what? That makes sense. That, as a business practice, that makes sense. But then it's not just that they're like, you know, we're going to serve burgers. Uh, we're going to be a, a carnivore's paradise. You know what I mean? Instead, what they do is they go, all right, so outside of every Burger King, we are going to place a slaughterhouse in a, like, plexiglass box, and a guy is going to be in there with a chainsaw, just, like, cutting the heads off of cows as you go through the drive-thru. And, you know, we'll have another plexiglass box next to it where the cow's mom watches this happen. And it's, like, extra, extra cruelty meal instead of extra value meal. And, you know, like, all this shit. This is, this is what I was saying. You know, Bur Burger King does that, right? So, in this, like, hypothetical scenario, my pitch is, like, you know, I think Burger King is missing the point here. I don't think that people... I don't think people want to, like, eat hamburgers because it's, like, I, en <laughs> I enjoy the fact that cruelty is happening to animals. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think that's, like, a selling point for most people. <laughs> I guess there's probably some maniacs out there who feel that way. But, you know, I think there are other, other reasons that people eat meat, right? Or eat animal products. Um, so, you know, if they went that far, I'd be like, well, I think they've probably gone so far in the other direction that they're going to just end up turning people off of... Burger King rather than, you know, turning people on to Burger King because Burger King has become the McDonald's alternative, but not by just sort of being uh, normal, insane, by going completely apeshit under the misunderstanding that, like, well, look, if company A is doing something that you think is not good, the only option is to go as far in the opposite direction as is possible. You hear what I'm saying? Like, if you don't like what company A is doing, you could definitely do something different. But going completely the opposite direction is not necessarily, uh, not necessarily what anybody wants from your company or your product or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't know. I feel like it's a workable analogy. Uh, you know, a gentler version I thought of was kind of like, all right, so you're like a, a indie coffee shop, and so you're like, you know, we want to pitch ourselves as being different from Starbucks. I'd be like, I think that's a good decision. Is like really emphasize the ways that you are not like Starbucks, um, and lean into that because I think that's gonna you're gonna find a lot of strength there. But I don't think it means like okay, so. 
you know, sometimes you go into like a little bit too fancy of a coffee shop in Indy and they're like, you order a coffee, a drip coffee, and it's like, well, you got to wait 10 minutes for this to show up. You know what I mean? And it's like they're going to bring the temperature up to the correct temperature because they're like, well, you can't, <laughs> you couldn't bring it down. And it's like, look, if this is 10 degrees too hot, you're not going to get a proper extraction, okay? And then it's like this guy in his denim apron is going to do all this precious shit. And at some point I'm like, listen, I, I get where you're coming from. Like, it's nice that you care a lot about this, but at some point, I cross over into, like, maybe you care a little too much, you know, and if if I were to, like, reach for a sugar packet, he'd be like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> you know, something like that. So anyway, I feel like that's kind of what Truth Social did, is they were like, well, let's just go as hard in the opposite direction as is possible. Not even as is reasonable or as is a good idea. As possible, as humanly possible, we're just going to fucking hit the gas. You know, they're east, we're going west, and we're going to floor it until we get as far as we're able to go. Oh, that was the other one that I tried in the column, and it didn't work, so I didn't do it. But I was like, you know, if you're living at the North Pole, and you're like, this sucks, um, the opposite side of the Earth would basically be the South Pole, right? But if you moved there, I think you're probably going to have most of the same problems. It'll just be di a little different, but, you know, you'll switch from fucking polar bears to uh, penguins, I guess. But, you know, is that is that what you're looking for? I don't think that's what anyone's looking for. So, you know, once we've made five to seven analogies, we're probably good here, right? So that was kind of how I interpreted what Truth Social is doing. And that's probably, that's why, part of why I don't think it's working is because I don't really think anybody really wants a uh, a social media platform that's all politics all the time. Now, that is how some people end up using Twitter, either by choice or kind of by accident. But um, I do... Okay, here, here's what I think, though. I was like, I think people would use an all-political platform, or at least it would be good to have that, because then what we could do is be like, all the politics happen over here, and then everything else happens over here. So, you know, when you're ready to have your joy crushed out of your life, you go to, you tap on that app, and then when you're ready to laugh at a joke or a poorly rendered face from a video game that someone's highlighting, you go over here. So, part of me was like, you know what maybe we really need is like, uh, Truth social, what's the opposite of that? False social? Fake social? Fiction social? And it's like, the only rule over there is no politics. It's like, everything is aggressively filtered, and if you tweet anything politically, you're kicked off the platform. I think that would be so fucking funny. That's definitely got to go in the uh, eccentric, eccentric millionaire notebook of like, Instead of going to space, or instead of making Truth Social, or buying Twitter, I'm going to make my own platform where the only rule is that politics are forbidden. Which really, in a way, may solve a lot of problems of social media, because it's like, well, what is a Russian bot going to do here? Everything over here is just bullshit. So it's like, well, I guess they could put out bullshit, but like, everything here is, it's bullshit up front. Like, we've decided this is bullshit from the very beginning. So, you know, I don't know. I don't know how. I don't know if it would work, but maybe it would work. Um, I didn't sell any books on True Social. But I did, I did start to, to gain a small following. I wouldn't say I had a, a following there. But it was like, I, I really think what happens on Truth Social is like, once you cross over a specific number of uh, truths that you've put into the world. Or like once a, a certain account likes stuff, a bunch of others will just follow, you know, something like that. Because 
I mean, Truth Social, by the way, is like bot heaven. It is like all bots. And the, here's what's fucking really weird about it. It's a lot of bots that are fan accounts for like fourth-rate politicians. You know, like someone in the House of Representatives from Indiana or something, which I'm like, who fucking has this much passion about this? All I can come up with is that it's like, I my hope is that some genius out there, some uh, techie person is like, I know how to program bots for Truth Social. So what I do is I tell House of Representatives dudes uh, that I will represent them as a social media company. Then I just make a bot for them on Truth Social. I never use it. I don't do shit. I just let it run, and they pay me $1,500 a month to, <laughs> to do nothing. That was what I was hoping was happening. You know, because like anybody, I'm like, yeah, I mean, do I have mixed feelings about like people working for horrible people? Being, being that Trump joke writer? Sure. It's not like I have no feelings about it. But I'm sort of, uh, I guess, so defeated in life that I'm just like, somebody is going to be making that money. Like, it's not like if you don't do it that everybody is going to refuse to do it. And I think I feel, like, beaten down enough in the world that I'm like, you know, realistically, the only way that it would work to be like, none of us are going to, none of us will be Trump's joke writer. No one will take that job, and therefore everything will be fine. Uh, that's the only way that that works, and that's not going to happen. Somebody's going to take that fucking job. You know, somebody's going to see that 100K and be like, oh, fuck it. Like, yeah, I'll do that. Pete is going to do that. That's who's going to do it. Or if I could design bots that, like, just re-truth uh, Fox News stories for, you know, a House of Representatives guy from Indiana. House of Representatives guy. A representative? Is that what we call them? <laughs> from Indiana. If I could make $1,500 a month to do that, you fucking better believe I'm doing it. Like, there's no, I'm, there's no way I'm not doing that. I'm sorry. And it's like, ah, look, if you, if you want me to not do that, I have a simple solution for you, which is like, eh, pay me to do something for you. I'll, I will provide a, a progressive senator that same service, that same level of service, and I will feel absolutely great about it. <laughs> I might even give you a discount. So, you know, Truth Social, I think, is doomed. I mean, the only thing about Truth Social that I think would bring anyone to it is that Donald Trump is there, right? Like, kind of doing his same Twitter bullshit again. Because, like, even when you get on there, too, it's sort of weird, because you would think a lot of people... Like, your, your Ben Shapiro's, right, would be, like, all over Truth Social. I don't think he's even on there. Or, like, uh, trying to think of who some of these, like, vilified conservative types are. You're, like, your Jordan Peterson or, like, Joe Rogan or something would be, like, all over this shit. And, like, some of these people have accounts, but it kind of looks like they're just parked. Or, like, they got on there and then saw what it was and were like, I'm never going here again, you know, and probably don't even remember that they have an account. Or maybe just threw an account up there because they were like, well, look, if you're, you're Joe Rogan on Truth Social, somebody else is going to, uh, you know, throw up a fake one. So if you've got the real one, at least now you've got the access to uh, lodge a complaint about it and, like, make it work for you, right? Like, that's what you want. Anyway, True Social sucks. It's worse than I thought. I sold no books, but I don't really sell any books anyway. Um, buy my books, fuckers. Just search my name, Peter Dirk, D-E-R-K, on Amazon, and you'll find a whole slew of uh, great titles, humorous, humorous titles that you'll love. And, uh... I'm getting passed by a party bus right now. This is great. I wish I was on a party bus. I haven't been on a party bus in years, guys. A couple years. 
I mean, I'm pretty happy that I have ever been on a party bus, but you know, I I would do a party bus cuz I would be like, all right, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to get like a dozen people. We'll get on a party bus and I'll just be like, everyone has to have the fucking vaccine and you got to take a test like a rapid test that day. <laughs> take your box of two rapid tests and as long as you're negative, we're good. Well, let's do it. Um, but then I'm like, but where do you go? So I'm like, I, where do you take a party bus that uh, that you could, you know, be around and not be out with a bunch of people and therefore defeat the entire purpose of doing all that shit? I guess while while I'm thinking about it, I might as well talk about Ice Planet Barbarians as well. Okay, so Ice Planet Barbarians is like a romance novel that has an accurate title um, that I figured I would read. I, I read it for a column, and I also read it for... I do a podcast for work called Why Did You Read That? So you can find it under HPLD Podcasts if you're interested. It's pretty different from this because it's kind of a subdued version of me because, you know, it's a work product. And so it's for the library and, like, I don't swear. Um, I almost swore a couple times yesterday because I was so hungry that I was, like, out of my mind. But anyway, there are a couple reasons I read it. But, you know, it's kind of been making the rounds on, tic- on TikTok or, as people call it, book talk. Which is, you know, if I guess if you're doing TikTok with a book-centric slant, that's book talk. <laughs> Whatever. Um, so I, I read Ice Planet Barbarians. And I had thoughts. Well, I listened to the audiobook. And, like, I'm sure I've talked about it on here before. Sometimes there's this... Whether audiobooks count as reading or not is, like, the big false debate of, you know, library and book world. Because nobody who reads or writes or cares about books gives a fuck if you do it on uh, print or audiobook. Like, the only people who seem to care about that are, like, weirdos who, you know, read shit like, your Ryan Holiday motivational books or something. The obstacle is the way. And it's like, no, you have to struggle through the Odyssey in order to really understand it or something. I mean, like, I get it. There are, there are times when you, when you have to read the, the text and you can't do the audiobook. Those times are when you are learning to read so, like, if you're in school and you're in third grade and you have an assigned reading, you got to read that shit because part of the point here is learning how to read because that's a good skill to have in life. Um, and when you're young, it's much easier to develop. And it's a lot easier to uh, become a proficient reader if you never get behind as opposed to trying to catch up from behind later, right? So that's good. Of course, if you have some kind of a learning disability, like, yeah, of course. Listen, if, if the content of the book is what's important, feel free to do the audiobook. That's just as good. But, you know, if the point is to learn how to read, learn how to read. I would say the other thing, too, is, like, if you're trying to learn how to write a book, um, if you're trying to, like, figure out how things are put together, how the sentences work on the page, all that shit, you got to read it. Like, it, it just doesn't work quite the same. And something that you'll see a lot is, like, people mistake the affect and other things that an actor adds to a book as being stuff that's on the page. So then they don't do as good of a job of including that stuff on the page. So I, I do think you have to read in order to write. But, you know, those are the only real, real things that I can see, especially as far as making the case for an adult. Um, so I listened to the audiobook, and, <clears throat> okay, Ice Planet Barbarians is totally ridiculous, but it's also fairly charming. 
and I say this as somebody who feels like the rom-com in the movie world is like dead. You know, it's mostly dead. You get one occasionally, but for the most part, it's not like, you know, if you watch a Miss Congeniality or you watch a You've Got Mail or something, and it's like, it's got a formula, and it's not like uh, filmmaking that you're like, this is fucking amazing, you know, like you're a visual feast for the eyes or whatever. Um, but they're, they're like totally good entertainment. They're watchable. The stories are, you know, compelling enough. I mean, I have no complaints about the rom-com genre. And I, I do feel like it deserves a place in cinema. You know, like, I'm just surprised they don't make more rom-coms. Because it just seems like a slam dunk. And it seems like movies that aren't super expensive to make. Because you, you don't need, like, a huge cast. You don't need special effects at all. You know, there's very, very little you need to put it together. And you can tell a pretty simple story pretty in a pretty straightforward way. And uh, have a cute little movie. I mean, like, look at Pretty Woman. Like, I don't know, do we consider that a rom-com? I'm calling it one for now. It's like, you didn't need, like, a ton of... Uh, ton of production value here, right? So anyway, uh, let's go through the basic plot of, of uh, Ice Planet Barbarians. Now, I'm going to spoil elements of the plot. I'm basically going to go through the entire plot because that's the only way to sort of talk about this book because the way it's paced is odd. But also, it's the first in a series. So it's like... You know, if you were talking about a movie and you're like, it's a three-hour movie, I'm going to talk about what happens in the first hour, that's kind of the situation I'm in, except it's like a, I don't know, eight-book series, and I'm going to talk about the entire first book. So that book is kind of ruined. But it also, at the same time, I feel like if you haven't read it and you're not going to, that you're probably listening to the correct podcast. I, I can't imagine that many listeners of this are like, hmm, Ice Planet Barbarians. <laughs> um, so here's what happens. Our hero, our hero, heroine, I call lady and gentleman heroes uh, heroes and not heroines or sheroes or whatever. Uh, and the reason I do that is because I saw uh, sci-fi great Connie Willis just referred to all of her main characters as heroes. And she was talking about a book, and she's like, so the hero in that book, and she's like, by the way, the hero in that book is a woman. And she's like, most of my heroes are women in books, but I just say hero because I think protagonist is too long and annoying to say. And she's like, and I just, you know, she's like, and heroine is longer to say. Hero is easier. And she's like, by hero, I mean main character. And I was like, that's fair. You know, and it's like... um it's like when you hear on those fancy chef shows and they're like, oh, they're making this dish. Well, this element of the dish is the hero. You know what I mean? This is the main part. And I'm like, yes, that is language I understand. So I'll probably use the word hero that way as well. And I'm going to do it because Connie told me it was okay. <laughs> if you got a problem with it, I guess take it up with Connie Willis. First of all, if you don't know who Connie Willis is, discover who she is and then realize how futile and stupid it would be to argue with her about such a thing. Because um, she knows she's forgotten more about it than you'll ever know. Okay, so Georgie uh, is like going home from a day of work and it's like a Thursday and she's like, you know, Thursday is basically nothing happens night. I go home. I'm probably going to eat like a crappy dinner of like hummus and chips and go to bed and the next thing we know she's been abducted by aliens she gets abducted by aliens like 200 and some words into the book i'm not kidding like she's almost immediately abducted which i 100 percent appreciate because i was like you know in a lesser book or like in a, a more literary genre type book we would have to hear about so much backstory you know what I mean? We'd probably have some bullshit like 
20-page chapter where it's like Georgie's a little kid and she's talking to her father. and She's like looking, they're gazing up at the stars together. And, you know, oh, daddy, someday I'm going to go to the stars. And he laughs and he's like, sure you are, Georgie. And she's like, no, really. And he's like, well, maybe you could be an astronaut. You know, blah, 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 blah. And, like, we'd have to know so much about her, and we'd have to know, like, what her career was and what her hopes and dreams are, and da-da-da-da. And, like, okay, I read a lot of that shit, right? I have no problem with that shit. But the book I'm reading is called Ice Planet Barbarians, and it's a romance, and I know what's going to happen is that a Earth woman is going to be banging an an Arse Planet Barbarian. Ice Planet Barbarian before too long. So as far as this like really deep heartfelt preamble, I'm I'm definitely like, I think we could take it easy on that shit, right? Like we probably don't need to get too hardcore on the... uh... Okay, I'm going to just say this about Ice Planet Barbarians, and it might sound like a slam against Ice Planet Barbarians, but it really isn't. What I liked and appreciated about Ice Planet Barbarians is Ice Planet Barbarians knew exactly what it was. Ice Planet Barbarians knew that it was a romance where some lady goes to another fucking planet and bangs an Ice Planet Barbarian. And so all the nonsense they would try to use to sort of justify this as like a deep meditation on something is gone. And I I found this extremely refreshing. <laughs> I think, you know, if I'm going to get too deep, and this is part of the danger about talking about Ice Planet Barbarians, is that it's easy to go uh, too deep into thinking about what it's about and, like, what it means and stuff, because then you're like, well, I'm getting real deep on something that's not that deep, right? And it's it's by design it's that way. I read an interview with the the author, Ruby Dixon. And she was like, look, there's a place for like, you know, big epic stories of like, you know, man's struggle against the the cosmos or whatever. And she's like, and then there's things that are just meant to be fun. And she's like, that's what I like to do. That's what I'm writing. That's my goal. I want to make something that's fun. And I'm like, you know what, Ruby Dixon? Good for you. And, like, she knows what she's doing. She's doing it on purpose, and she's doing a good job. (laughs) So anyway, like, some of, I think some of why I liked it, though, is, like, it was a, a fun, weird story that wasn't trying to be anything more than that. And so sometimes I feel like things, you know, I was, I was mentioning Star Wars, right? And sometimes I feel lately like Star Wars is, like, I, I don't I don't know where it's coming from that people are calling it like woke or something because I don't feel like it's woke I don't understand that I just feel like Star Wars is sometimes trying to be uh this like really meaningful thing this like really existential meaningful deep thing and I'm like is that does it need to be that though like can't some things just be a Star War <laughs> And then, you know, that's it. I mean, isn't there, you know, if we're going to get like real meta about it and shit, isn't there meaning in being simple? Like, isn't there meaning in being uh, simple and joyful or whatever? Anyway, that's taking it too far. I did, I just liked that uh, Ruby Dixon is like, here's what I'm doing, here's why I'm doing it. I, I'm doing something simple. Uh, I like things this way. I think other people like this stuff this way. And uh, that's what it is. And I was like, right on. Um, And, you know, let's be honest. Part of why I like that is because I do the same thing. Like, I write these dumb books. Like, the heistest heist ever heisted. A heist story of a heist special editor's edition. Um, Which is just silliness. Like, there's nothing in it but silliness. And, you know, if... If someone were to analyze that book and be like, oh, well, did you mean this or that? I would be like, no. 
I mean, I appreciate you thinking that there's any sort of depth to this or whatever, but I think you're barking up the wrong tree here. <laughs> when you're looking for depth in the heistest heist ever heisted, a heist story of a heist special editor's edition, which is about a guy uh, basically taking a very specialized kind of dump to unlock a vault. It's a long poop story. Um, and when you have a long poop story, like... That's that's all it is. That's all it needs to be. By the way, I've always wanted to do an anthology of like everyone's best poop story. Because I think almost everyone has at least one pretty amazing poop story. And uh, that just seems like the way to go. Right? It just see. I know it's crass and whatever, and some people would not be on the show or would be turned off by it. But I'd be like, I think I think I'm gonna have a good audience here. You know, when you're just sitting on the on the train and you got your earphones in, nobody knows what you're listening to. <laughs> nobody listen knows you're listening to someone describe the horrors of their poop stories. Does seem like the kind of podcast you don't want to binge, right? You don't want to like go through 15 episodes in a row, because um, it would just sort of be like, I just feel like I'm in a world of shit now. Like a literal world where the walls and the air is all shit. And that's not... No one wants to be in that world. Um, so anyway, uh, I, think I, I don't think I've explained the plot at all other than to say that within a couple pages, we're in fucking space. Um, but tune in, because uh, this is, this is going to be the end of this episode, by the way. Tune in next time when we will continue the uh, the description of Ice Planet Barbarians and probably talk about some other shit. Hopefully we won't have anything so exciting happen that we talk about that first and then talk about Ice Planet Barbarians and then don't finish it again. But you know what? I'm, I, I wouldn't take that possibility off the table if I were you. This could be a potential three-part episode. Not because there's so much content that it fills three episodes, but just because of poor planning and execution. Uh, as, as we've looked at before, or as I've changed the tagline on the website, stupid is a strategy. <laughs> I keep wanting to look and see, like, is this, like, copyrighted somehow? Like, is stupid as a strategy, like, a, the title of, like, a self-help book or something? Because I don't, I don't want to just rip off something. But I'm like, this is fucking gold, man. Stupid is a strategy. That is good shit right there. All right. Well, we got to go. But I will see you. <laughs> I'll see you. Oh, fuck off, Peter. You don't know what you're talking about.